before we get started here in our time in the Word, I do want to just um, make a couple of notes here. Uh, we're just so grateful for Kelsey, and Kelsey, we're going to miss you, and um, Kelsey's going off to culinary school down in Las Vegas, so if you know Kelsey, be an encouragement to her here this morning, give her a big uh, Parkside hug, this is her last Sunday, and Sandy, it is so good to see you here this morning. Sandy Ackerman, many of you know, has been just unable to come due to health reasons, but praise the Lord, uh, it's great to see you, Sandy. So, yay. Okay, so what's the deal? Where are your gospel goggles? I thought today we'd have them all on. <laughs> Okay, for you that weren't here with us last week, that's a little dig about uh, what we're talking about, about perspective. Perspective. It's a very important thing in our day and age. We, we all have a perspective, and we're going to talk about that some more this morning, especially in regards to um, the political upheaval of things uh, here in our country and really uh, all around the world. Um, I just really appreciate the wisdom uh, that Chuck Swindoll gives us, uh, very practical things. And and here's something he said about big picture perspective. One of the greatest benefits to be gleaned from the Bible is perspective. God's Word is tailor-made for gray, slushy days. It sends a beam of light through the fog. It signals safety when we fear we'll never make it through. Such big picture perspective gives us a hope transplant. And within a brief period of time, we have escaped the bleak and boring and we're back at soaring. We can actually stand firm through discouraging times but only if we apply God's instructions. And really, that's a great uh, little introduction for our time here this morning as we consider uh, part two of surveying the project before us here. And, and it, today, um, you'll see in your bulletin, there's, there is an outline that you can follow. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And... Uh, so we want to understand, number one from our outline is a worldview awareness, a worldview awareness. I, I don't think I really defined uh, what I mean by worldview. And so a worldview, everyone has one. Everyone has one. And here is this uh, definition. You can follow along in the outline in your bulletin. It says a definition, an explanation, an interpretation of the world and then an application of this view to life. Okay? And that fits everyone's worldview. You're taking in what you're seeing of life, and here's an explanation of it, maybe from a friend or from parents or grandparents, and here's an interpretation of it in the world, and then it takes form and application. You put it on you put it into practice in your life. The problem is, 
in life, it's just so easy to go with my natural bent, letter A. My natural bent. And the Bible explains it. The Bible brings it forth in a very familiar verse that we're, most everyone is familiar with. And that is Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Nor, normally, we just go 5 and 6. Right? If, you're, if you know Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, you could stand up and quote it, couldn't you? You ready? <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't put you on the spot enough. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall what? Make your path straight. But we don't add that next verse. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Right there is a great verse showing the bent of our own nature. We're called as believers in Jesus Christ. We are called to trust in the Lord with all your heart, not in your own natural way. Don't lean on your own understanding. Can you, you just picture those times where you see somebody do a little oops. They, they kind of do this and then they lean and, you know, they fall over. You know, we could do that up here very easily without even trying with the steps and, you know, but, but, you know, it's, it's that way in our lives. We have those little things that happen where we're all of a sudden we're leaning on our own understanding. That's our natural bent. And so, the remedy is that you and I would see our need, letter B, our need, you look at Philippians 2, and we'll be cruising around a number of different Bible verses, but Philippians 2, you could turn there if you'd like, um, Philippians 2, 14 through 16, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a what? A crooked and perverse generation. That's what we're growing up in. That's what we live with. If you have the idea that this world is a utopia and it's getting better and better, you need to wake up to, and read the news. You need to realize what's going on more and more and more. It just keeps piling on. Maybe it's in the same way over and over again, but it keeps on piling on. We live in a crooked and perverse generation. And then he says, among whom you ought to, were called to, shine as lights in the world. How? Holding fast the word of life. That's how. How do I shine as a light in the dark world, in a crooked, perverse generation? I hold forth the word of life. I present this as this is the way I need to walk. I'm going to walk in it. This is the way we ought to live. With this understanding, with this perspective, right? So, it's our need that we see uh, solved, in a sense, uh, through here, this passage, Philippians 2, 14 through 16. We need to develop, then, a distinctly God-centered worldview that must be developed. Because my natural bent is to lean on my own understanding, 
and it's like the world revolved around me then. That's my natural bent. And so how come you aren't responding to my needs more? I'll help you. You know, I'm, I'm good at helping you. But a lot of times we sit there like, you know, Gollum. In, in the, I don't know which story it was. The, not the Hobbit, but yeah, the Tower of, yeah. So, you know, he, he's just, it's, it's, he's along on the journey and he helps, but it's all about my precious. It's all about what he wants. It's all about his pleasure, his self. And if we're not careful, Christian, that's what happens to us subtly, not in a big way, but subtly it keeps coming back. Because we're in a battle. We're in a fight. And it's not so much out there as it is in here, in my heart. It's the natural man, the old man, that ought to be what? Crucified, dead, versus the spirit who ought to be alive in my life and filling my life. That's where the battle is. So... We need to develop a worldview that's distinctly God-centered or distinctly Christ-honoring, Christ-centered, Bible-centered. However you want to put it, that's what needs to be developed because our minds want to lean towards the old nature. And stop and think about it, friend. Guys, what trips you up... Men, what trips you up the most when you're saying, I want to live for the Lord? What trips you up the most? Stop and evaluate that. Identify it. Because if you don't, you and I, we will get caught in that, in that trap. It's like James chapter 1 says. It's like the, the lure, the fishing lure. It, it catches you and, and drags you away. You are enticed. And what is that in your life? And so, the more we are developing a God-centered, Bible-centered, Christ-honoring worldview, a perspective, that's why last week we said it's about the gospel. Everything. It really goes back to this one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you more comfortable looking through your gospel, uh, or I'm sorry, are you more comfortable looking through the, the goggles of your, uh, your political party? Are you more comfortable looking through the goggles of your success as a businessman? You know, what, what kind of perspective are you using? Oh, is it about your, your, your family? Is that where it's at? then you've got the wrong goggles on, my friend. It's got to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's a worldview awareness. We've got to be aware of it and then start developing what honors God in our minds. Number two, a worldview examined. Here's a worldview on, on display. Stop and think for a moment about Jesus Christ Entering into the world that he entered into. Think about it. He was born in a, 
you know, in an animal pit, you know, wasn't anything fancy. It was pretty dirty and smelly and yucky and muddy and all, all, all that stuff. Yet he was born into the world in that way. And obviously he grew and matured and grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. And you know what? By the time he was able to get out into his teaching ministry, you would think that he would address the issues of the day. Letter A under number two. Or the, the first little asterisk there. The issues of the day. You would have think, figured, well, if Jesus has anything to do with, you know, here's God, here's life, you'd think he would address the issues of the day. Do you think those issues of, the, of his day were politically charged? You bet. What were the Jews, you know, oppressed by? Taxes, taxes, taxes. Oh, and how about slavery, slavery, slavery? You know, that was like as common as sliced bread back then, you know. It was a common thing. Hot buttons, hot topics of his time, of his day, of his age. And not to mention the issues of the day, but secondly, the rulers of the day. If anyone could have had complaints about the rulers, it was back in that day. Here, here's Mary and Joseph with their little baby, and now they're told by the angel, you better flee, you gotta flee to Egypt. Why? Because one of the rulers of the day gets to call out to his soldiers, you go and kill every two, boy two years old and under in Bethlehem. You go out and kill him. What kind of ruler is that? It's the kind of ruler that also will go off and kill his own family. So there's, you know, here's a guy like, you know, Herod the Great. You know, along with Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. Why? Political uprising? No. He was convicted over his sin that John the Baptist addressed. See, different kind of situation. You know, also here in the Roman Empire, what was going on? Here's Caesar Augustus, who held supreme military power. And he was the one that decreed the census be taken in all the land. And that's why Mary and Joseph had to go down from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Because of Caesar Augustus, his, his decree. Now that decree opened up the taxation issue that flooded the land. Well, and then during the Apostles' Day, it ended up being a, a real swell guy by the name of Nero. And he just happened to delight in torching Christians on his patio, on his sidewalks. See, and then, oh, oh by the way, another guy named Pilate, another ruler, 
And, uh, yeah, Pilate is an interesting character. And so he was the one uh, who obviously interrogated Jesus, but he was appointed governor over Rome's military presence, and he decided to move that military presence from Caesarea, where? Right to Jerusalem. You know how offensive that was for the the normal God-fearing Jewish people? That was like blasphemy. Why? Because the Roman soldiers brought in all their equipment and their standards, and it was images of Caesar. Idolatry! You know, so there's plenty of food there, of fuel to complain about. And if Jesus is any kind of a leader, what kind of, you know, what kind of leader is he, leadership is he given if he's not speaking to these issues that we're dealing with? I just, I find it interesting that Jesus isn't going on and on about this issue and that issue. What is his target, folks? What was Jesus' target? It wasn't the political issues of the day. Albeit they, are, they were important to the people, they weren't as important as one target, and that was the heart of an individual. If you were the, if you were the one who needed it, Jesus would have been right there, and talking to you, talking to your, here's, here's what you really need. It's not fixing up the politics. It's fixing up your heart with God. That's where Jesus was at. So letter B, Christ accomplished his mission. Now, it's, it's really a, like a coin. It's got two sides to the coin. His mission was to glorify God. And his mission also was to win people, to, to bring the people that God had given him already. You can read about that. The reference is right there. John 17. And he accomplished his mission without any conventions, without any protests, without any walkouts, without any strikes, no sit-downs, whatever you want to... He did it by dealing with people. And he did it by reaching men, his disciples, who then were trained. And those men went out and trained... Or one and trained... One and trained other men. You know, again, we have to be brought back to this issue again. How did Jesus do this? He won people. He won people to himself. And they went out and they spread the word also. And almost all of the disciples, I believe all of the disciples, gave their lives just gave their lives for this cause. And here, here you and I sit. It's because of what those guys ended up doing. Here's the Spirit of God working in your life to draw you to Himself, to salvation, to repentance of sin and faith in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet convinced that you are going to heaven, you need to come to that place where you have repented of your sin and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And through that, you are, uh, you are escaped, you are rescued from 
the wrath of God that will fall on all sin. Okay? And that, that message is a message of foolishness to the world's mindset. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 talk about that. It's foolishness to the world that we preach Christ crucified. That's foolishness. But to God, it's what? Wisdom. Here's the wisdom of God. Okay? And so, we would agree on one thing about Christ in regards to some uh, association with politics. He was a radical revolutionary. Wasn't he? Yeah? Yes, he was. He was a radical revolutionary. But it's not in the terms that, especially some of his disciples, who were zealots, wanting him to rise up and start a, a, a real, uh, literal revolution. They wanted to put him in, in as king, and they wanted him to go after uh, the Roman powers as they were with his miracle touch. They were, they were, they were convinced that Jesus could have done that. They said, let's make him king right now. Why wait? But his revolution was totally different than what we had in mind with our natural mind. It's not a political one. It's a spiritual one. And his revolution continues on today and tomorrow. His revolution will continue on in changing people's lives. Because why? He accomplished his mission. And he continues to save people from their plight. Save people from the wrath of God, which is to come. Save people unto His family. What a glorious gift of salvation. It's not something that we earn or we merit. It's something that we receive. Amazing. And He continues to make an army to stand in the, all the tides of, of life. Okay? So, that's a world view examined where Jesus now is in the world and how does He respond to these things? He just keeps focused on His mission. John 17 is that reference. You can look at that. Then, number three, a world view exalted. John the Baptist, you can see it under number three. John the Baptist called out the signature statement, if you will, of God's platform. (laughs) If we're talking politics, here's their signature statement. John the Baptist cries out, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's the signature statement. And Jesus followed up. We read about it in Matthew chapter 4. Verse 17, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And a lot of us in this modern day and age, we kind of look at that and say, Whoa, that's really not, that's that's pretty heavy-handed. My friend, that's, that's the key opening up the door for your salvation. If you respond in faith and repentance. It's not a matter of being heavy-handed at all. 
there needed to be a heavy hand with it because of our sin. We needed to hear the message. Repent and believe. And all the while, he's saying that. The kingdom of heaven. So letter A, we're called to his kingdom and his rule. Here's the, the exaltation of this worldview. Here's what's being lifted up. It's about his kingdom, his rule, his reign. And we see it in we see it in Matthew three, Matthew four, Matthew six thirty three, a verse that you ought to know. We sing the little chorus, Matthew six thirty three, what is it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And Matthew seven twenty one. Here's the warning. Not everyone listen, listen, listen. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, you, listen, you and I are confronted with this reality of Him being not just the messenger of the kingdom, but the very King it's, uh, Himself. He's the King, and He's announcing His kingdom. And so, we're called to His kingdom and His rule. Now, stop. think of this. Who? It's like, let's, let's parallel it to our time right now. Let's say somebody moves into Fallon, and they come visit our, our church or whatever, and they start saying, you know, come join me in my, in my reign as king. Yeah. It's like, whoa, get away here. I'm going to back away from this little guy here. Who's going to say that kind of thing? And my friend, just if you put this together, you realize how audacious, how radical this is to the people. Now the Jews, granted, the Jews were looking forward to their coming who? Messiah. Their coming Messiah. The king. They're looking forward to that. But their whole thought is, it's about a political reign. It's about a kingdom that's going to, you know, here's Jerusalem and we're going to conquer and get rid of these chains and this bondage from Rome. And like with Judas Iscariot, wasn't he a little miffed after a bit? Judas Iscariot. Hey, I'm I'm fed up with this. I'm I'm just going to trade this in for some money. And he did. He betrayed Jesus for that money. But listen, letter B, number three, letter B. Here, here's what we're to do. We're to carry on this revolution begun by Christ. Christ started a revolution that was about the heart. His revolution was an uprising against man's greatest enemy. And it wasn't communism. Man's greatest enemy is about our sin, our need for a Savior. And so that was what he accomplished. And it all came about, this revolution started, it really all came about through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And so you can, um, maybe later on, you can look at these references. Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. Actually, it'll be chapter 2. But take a mental note and, and just remind yourself to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 along with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, we could say, in being saved, Christians have, in verse 12, received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. I've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. My friend, most of us are still in that boat, if you will, that learning curve, learning about what God has given to us. Learning to live by that. Not just know, but live by that. Knowing what He's done for us and thus having a translation of it from my mind to my being and my life. Okay? The Spirit has been given to the believer. The Spirit of God. Verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom. Keep in mind Proverbs 3, what we talked about earlier. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now notice this. A natural man, verse 14, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. My friend, that's what drives us. When I say last week, it's about the gospel goggles. It's also right here in 1 Corinthians 2. What ought to drive us is saying, as a believer, as a child of God, I've been given the mind of Christ. Now I want to go with that and grow that and learn more about what He expects, what He wants. Well, more references here. 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who, what? Gives us the victory. Okay? That's all through the resurrection. Um, James chapter 3 is, is uh, associated or related to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look at James chapter 3. Again, all dealing with perspective in my life or in your life. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Good question. Well, the answer is given. It's that person that shows by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. And now he's going to compare earthly wisdom with heavenly wisdom. Follow along. But 
if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. So, oh, I don't have bitter jealousy, but do I have selfish ambition in my heart? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're all convicted in that. We, we might try and, you know, skirt the issue of bitter jealousy, but bitter jealousy enters in. Selfish ambition enters in. Well, that... He goes on to say, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The idea here is being that here's the truth of the matter. This wisdom that he's just referred to, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above. This is earthly, natural, demonic. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, your natural tendency. Right? Back to James chapter 3, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let the glory of the church be the, we sang it earlier, what? The righteousness of God. Let us glory in His righteousness. That's what the wisdom from above is about. Okay? So, um, another reference that I would direct you to is John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. That interchange between Jesus and, and Pilate, that is amazing. It's truly amazing. Because right there, you know, Pilate, you know, is saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus ends up saying, You know, here's, if, if my people... You know, we're, uh, the people of my kingdom, I'm, I need to look at that here. The, um, he, he said, you say that I'm a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world. That's what Jesus is saying about being a king. It's for this purpose that I was born into the world and this purpose that I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And at that point, you know, most of you know, Pilate stopped and said, what is truth? What is truth? And my friend, right there, here, here are the seeds of relativism. It's relativism. Remember last week we talked about isms? Well, relativism is where it's like, well, you believe that? Oh, that's okay. I believe this. This is okay. You believe that? Oh, that's everything's relative. And that's what also we're facing in this world. That's why we need this development of a godly worldview, a godly perspective. And especially our young people are under such, such a flood of ideas, such a flood of, of pulling them this way and pulling them that way. More and more young people just figure, hey, it's all right. 
just to live with one another. Guy and a girl, hey, it's no big deal. You really have to do a report, a Bible report, on what, what God says about that. God doesn't say, hey, it's okay, just try each other out for a while. doesn't say that. And I realize, you know what, there might be people in this room, I don't know, might be relatives that you have or friends that you have, they're doing that. I'd like to hear the reasoning from the Bible, why that's okay. That's one issue. Abortion, another issue. Homosexuality, another issue. Now, most of us can wax eloquently about it and say what's wrong with it. But can we love these people? Can we show them compassion, gentleness, and yet stand firm with with the truth? So, very important here how we respond to things. That study in John 18 is very important. You look things over from that perspective of what is Jesus saying there? We've got to move on. Number four, it's a, finally it, it comes down to this. A worldview that's energized only comes as the Christian walks. Remember I said this before we sang those last few songs? It's about walking. It only, this only comes, a worldview that's energized only comes as the Christian walks with the Lord in life. Not tomorrow, not next year, not when I graduate from high school, but walks with the Lord now, today. For Letter 4A, step by step. As the believer learns and develops the God-centered worldview, the God-centered mindset, the perspective gets more and more focused on things above. Okay, Galatians 5, 16, 17, very quickly. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, we, we kind of associate the desires of the flesh with things like, um, maybe it's uh, materialism, maybe it's um, consumerism, maybe it's it's uh, sex and things about, you know, related to sex. That's the desires of the flesh. But over here, these things of government, these issues of politics, that's not the desires of the flesh. Oh? Really? Yes, there are concerns for us. But, my friend, we have to discern and be careful in making sure I'm not responding in my realm of politics out of the flesh. Because it can very easily happen. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other and they keep you from doing the things that you want to. Then 1 Peter chapter 2, we've been called to follow in His steps. And yet, with that, here's the warning at the bottom of your outline, the warning. A lot of Christians will say, well, I, I follow His example. If that's all there is, here's the warning. This will not function properly, uh, a God-centered worldview. It will not function properly if used merely as a good example to follow. 
Or some of us use the phrase Christian virtues. If I have good Christian virtues to live by, then da-da-da-da-da-da. But that doesn't work either if it's merely just following a good example or living by Christian virtues. Because we can easily slide into the problem Jesus spoke about and spoke against in Matthew 15. Mark that reference. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. For in vain they worship me. I don't want to be found in that category. I hope you don't want to be found in that category where you can do the lip service, but you don't worship Him from the heart. That's the challenge here. The key is found in John 15. Your walk with Christ, continuing on in His Word to do His will. Described in in John 15 there. Abide in Me. Abide in me. There's a lot of ways to try and apply this, but what I want you to understand as we close now, what I want you to understand is that the gospel, listen, the gospel touches everything in our lives. There's not certain areas that, oh, oh, that doesn't matter to the gospel or that doesn't matter to Christ. No, everything in our lives is touched by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He wants everything in our lives to be, you know, sanctified unto Him. And all too often, and for way too many years, it's like this area of politics is kind of pushed out and this it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It does matter to Jesus. And we're going to f- continue on studying about this more and more as we go through the rest of this month. You know, the one result in growing to be like Him, if we're growing to be like Jesus, what will result is as we look upon our day, no matter what day it is, no matter what's going on, we're going to see things more clearly from His perspective. A life that's more and more like Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. We thank You for these examples that are set before us. But Lord, the key is more than just the example. The key is that we would have the life of Christ within us. The very Spirit of God within us. And that we would be convicted by our sin. That we would be uh, with the mindset that we are wretched sinners before You. And yet brought into your family by grace, by, by your gift of salvation. Lord, we don't deserve that. What an amazing gift it is. So help us, Lord, to appreciate this more and more deeply. And then, Lord, as we deal with these issues that are coming upon us, the, uh, the campaigns, the election, the, the political talk and all that, please help us to walk in wisdom. So that our eyesight is more and more like yours. That we can see more clearly as you've laid it out in your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon these people. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given to us. 
Help us to recognize them and, and appreciate them and, and give thanks back to your great name. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless you and have a wonderful day.